0: When Jesus says that he does not come to bring peace, it is good for us to recall that elsewhere in the Gospels, he offers us that peace which the world cannot give us. This means that there are two kinds of peace. The world gives us a kind of peace, but it is, alas, a false one. Peace can be simply the absence of conflict. And perhaps I should specify this even more, because it's usually from a first-person perspective that we make this pronouncement of peace. We experience a superficial peace when there is an absence of local conflict. But how do we achieve this local peace? Let me offer a common, if somewhat trivial, example. Let's imagine the two spouses are having a conflict of some sort. How do they work it out? One possibility is to work at the relationship. But this work might involve one of them, or more likely both of them, having to change. And one or both might not want to change. But they want peace. So one common strategy is to find a common enemy, maybe an annoying neighbor whose kids play music too loudly or maybe it's a teacher at their child's school, or maybe it's the parish secretary. If both spouses can direct their hostility toward a common enemy, internal tensions magically go underground, and one has a momentary and local sense of peace. There is an absence of conflict between the spouses. And this trick works at all levels, not just at the home level. For example, war is the health of the state. That was written by essayist Randolph Bourne shortly before he died in the flu epidemic in 1918. So states need subjects to get along with each other. If subjects are at each other's throats for too prolonged a period, the threat of revolution arises. So, many statesmen Uh, and this explicitly goes back to Machiavelli in the early 16th century, lots of statesmen have discovered that there's nothing quite like a war to get citizens to forget their differences. In George Orwell's wonderful novel 1984, there are constant news reports of wars and reports of the savagery of the enemies of the state of Oceania. And this keeps the citizens of Oceania focused on an external threat, so they don't notice so readily the totalitarian terror that is their daily existence. The United States, uh, for an example closer to home, if you look at the polling numbers, we've never been so united as a country as we were during World War II and in the months immediately after 9-11. This false peace, what the world can give us, is, as I'm suggesting, a kind of displacement of conflict. It doesn't resolve the conflict. It moves it somewhere elsewhere so we don't have to deal with it with the people with whom we have to live. But this kind of displacement is treacherous and as I mentioned, uh, it can infect even family life. And this brings us back to some more challenging things that Jesus says today. Our words, the words of our Lord are quite astonishing. Division within the family, Doesn't this go against all of the values for which Catholics are fighting in the contemporary culture wars? Jesus' death at the hands of the state unmasks the mechanism by which the world attempts to keep the peace. So the priests and scribes fear the Romans. Pilate fears Caesar. There are lots of uh, different uh, groups fighting within the Jewish people at the time. Herod probably fears them all. How convenient that there's this Jesus of Nazareth at hand to be put to death. And uh, St. Luke notes wryly that in his account of the crucifixion, that Pilate and Herod became friends. After that, precisely because they put Jesus to death. Now, before the Lord can institute true peace, the peace of Christ, this false peace must be exposed and named for what it is. And in saying this, it's important for me to clarify, I'm not urging any kind of finger-pointing, hey, you're displacing the conflict. And certainly I'm, I'm not urging social upheaval of any sort, may God spare us that trial. Rather, let me go back to the beginning of my humble example of spousal conflict. What each or both are trying to avoid is the need to change, to admit culpability in the original disagreement. In other words, we avoid conversion because that might put me at risk of being the odd man out. It's safer to strike first and then maybe work on conversion later when I feel safe. Won't I just be a doormat for others if I follow the road of forgiveness and repentance? Well, what exactly is the peace that Christ brings us? Notice that Jesus says he brings division In Genesis 1, God creates by separating things, distinguishing things, clarifying, defining. We participate in this creative work to the extent that we learn to distinguish truth from falsehood, to understand the true natures of things as God made them, rather than manipulating them to accord with our desire. And in learning to make these proper distinctions— we gradually arrive at a vision of the truth. Peace, real peace, is the proper ordering of all of these objects and ideas that we have distinguished. So this is how St. Augustine arrives at his classic definition of Christ's peace. It's the tranquility of order. So within any conflict, there is always a need to seek this peace, Uh, to speak the truth and to bring about right ordering of things. And this may require us to witness at some level to uncomfortable truths, uh, the false peace that we might discover in ourselves and in others. But again, the real requirement here is to become persons of truth. And this means befriending the truth. The truth, the way, and the life, Jesus Christ our Lord. He, after all, was nobody's doormat. Even if he did become everyone's victim. The truth is that just as God raised Christ from the dead, our creative God has the power to raise up the lowly, to free us from the tyranny of mass opinion mobilized by fear, to repair all that is broken. When we accept the truth about ourselves that we are loved by this God and called by him to conversion, then we can be ministers of that true and lasting peace.